How good will the Lakers be? Can Melo find his way to Houston? Who stood out in the Summer League? The only question left is, say it with me, you win. Hey sports fans, Coach Nick here and welcome to the B-Ball Breakdown Podcast. It's been a little bit of a delay, but we are back, both me and Coach Dave, Dave Dufour, uh, after a long week uh, and a half of Summer League. So, Dave, you are actually still trapped in Vegas. Am I correct in saying that? I am. I'm, I'm the last man on earth, <laughs> as far as I'm concerned. Um, all, all of my my peers and friends have, have abandoned me, except for the Lakers beat writers and, uh, and bloggers. They're still, they're still holding down the fort with me because uh, – Surprisingly, the Lakers have actually made it to the championship. LeVar Ball continues to uh, to prognosticate accurately. It's pretty amazing. Yeah. Well, you know, what's also amazing is, well, I mean, I think it makes sense. The Lakers fans are just so desperate for some positivity here and some highlights and something to feel good about after uh, these two or three years of being in the wilderness. So, you know, I don't know if anyone out there had seen the images of them uh, in the first weekend, but... It, it was pretty insane how packed uh, Thomas and Mac was in a way that it, it normally isn't like that in summer league. And uh, the, the Laker fans that drove up to uh, to Vegas to cheer, it was it was kind of startling. Yeah, you know, um, they've done record record numbers, and and I think that the Lakers having Lonzo Ball has certainly helped. The Lakers going this deep into the playoffs, I mean, obviously making the championship is definitely helping, but. Uh, you know, the summer league continues to grow. They've done a really fantastic job with it, and it and it it feels like we're at Staples Center every single time the Lakers play. It's really incredible. Yeah, Staples East, and you know, I guess it's all centers around the exploits of Lonzo Ball, who had maybe a rough outing in the first game shooting wise. But uh, I saw a couple of those games, and you know, it's really rare. And I get, I know it, it is summer league, but. Uh, it's it, he is the kind of player that can profoundly affect a game without ever scoring the basketball. And I can count players like that in the NBA on one hand who have had that kind of impact in that way. Um, you know, and certainly the list is short. We could probably figure out who I'm talking about. So um, it really is uh, uh, his passing is really going to be something I think that's going to create a lot of uh, a lot of highlights and a lot of fun this year. You know, you are absolutely spot on, and and he's actually scored as well. I mean, you know, this is the crazy part is I didn't think he would score as well as he is. Um, of course, again, it is summer league, but the skills are on display. And I had had this conversation with with a scout the other day. You know, summer league is not great for judging, you know, how a guy is going to compete in the NBA, but it is great for seeing, you know, the skills the NBA type plays. Can a guy drive to the hoop and see the man in the corner? You know, court vision, I think translates at, at any level, um, rebounding, shooting, things like that. Things that, you know, go usually if, you, if a guy could do it in college, he can do it in the league. And so I think that, uh, you know, summer league, while I don't care about the wins and losses, and I don't really care too much about the stats. I like to see individual moments and use those when I'm evaluating a guy coming out of summer league. And Lonzo has had, I don't know, 50 
50 is probably an, an over-exaggeration, but he's had at least 25 moments in a game where he's made a next-level pass or a next-level move. And he's got some stuff that, that you can see in summer league he's going to have to improve. His, his pick-and-roll footwork isn't great on, on the defensive end. You know, he's going to have to get over screens a lot faster. Um, it, you know, but that's little stuff to me that, mm-hmm. that just about every rookie is going to have to work on. The only, you know, aside from Donovan Mitchell and maybe Jordan Bell, uh, most rookies do have to, to work on their defense. Um, but but his, his court vision is just unparalleled. And, you know, Magic Johnson was there tonight sitting courtside, and, you know, you could just see him light up every time Lonzo made a nice play. It was, it was awesome. Yeah, and that's why it's almost like, you know, the whole LeVar Ball, uh, you know, um, distraction, I suppose, is interesting to me because it doesn't really apply when you have a guy that plays like Lonzo. If Lonzo was um, selfish and was like a, like a real jerk out on the court and all that kind of stuff, then, then I could see why that would be an issue. But the guy, the kid plays as a consummate teammate. Um, and so the other thing I wanted to pay attention to as far as the shooting, you know, it's funny. They make a big deal about him going to his right and not being able to do that because he releases from the left side of his face. But, you know, the biggest issue I had when I saw that a couple of times was the pickup. His pickup from the dribble into the shot isn't clean enough. And that is something he needs to work on probably even more than just the notion of how to make it work going to his right. I just feel like it's there are too many times where it's awkward. And, and it, it kind of is going to his right, but it's not because it's going back across his face. It's just he's not gathering the ball well. And that's uh, something he could probably clean up in the next several months by working on it. Yeah, you know, that's a very astute observation. I actually have the same feeling about his finishing. I mean, I, his finishing is rough. But he never looks like he's really got control of the ball. He's often cupping the ball yeah. rather than you know just holding it in his hand. And I don't know. I don't know what his, his measurements are on his hands. Does he have small hands? Like, is that a thing with him? I, I'm not sure. But there is something there where where he's not actually controlling the ball when he's going to the hoop. He mm-hmm. can't get much English on the ball, which is why I think he's a you know kind of a poor finisher. So that's funny that we both independently and for different parts of his game kind of came to the same conclusion. There's something up with, with the way he's gathering the ball. That's right. pretty good. Yeah, I know. Well, hey, listen, we're both coaches. so. Uh, but I'm not worried about him in the, in the slightest. I mean, he's got the Jason Kidd thing. He's got the Magic Johnson thing. Uh, and there's, there's definitely reason to be uh, encouraged. And looking down the line, I mean, it, when you look at who's been playing on the Summer League team, you realize why they made it to the finals. And, you know, a guy that's been raising a lot of eyebrows is this guy Kyle Kuzma out of Utah. Um, and here's a guy, he played three years at Utah, so I kind of want to take him with a grain of salt in the sense that, you know, he, he's going up against guys who are, you know, two years younger than him or a year younger than him. Uh, he's got a lot of experience and polish at that, at that level, so I'm not sure how well it translates. What do you think? You know, um, he's got a really nice pick-and-pop game. He can hit the three, and, uh, you know, he, I don't know how many dunks he's got this summer league, but it feels like about ten. Uh, in the pick and roll with Lonzo or whoever's got the ball, Caruso has also been pretty good with him. Um, you know, he's looking to score. I'd like to see him look to move the ball a little bit instead of taking some of these tough shots. But I've liked what I've seen. I, you know, he kind of reminds me of Robert Ory a little bit. Okay. Yeah. yeah. I can see that. He's kind of like he's in the right. Yeah. He's always in the right spot. You know, he's sort of like you know a good mm-hmm. high basketball IQ. It feels like. Uh, and also, remember, Lonzo. Lonzo is making all these guys look really good. 
Absolutely. And, you know, this this young team that's here at Summer League, the Lakers, they've probably been the most fun team to watch. They, they're they really moving the ball. Again, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to credit this to Lonzo. I mean, maybe it's the other guys, but I don't think I've seen Vander Blue throw this many passes in his entire career. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they're, they're whipping the ball around. Guys are looking up court, looking to push. I mean, it, it's been fun. And, and I'm a little nervous that, that the Lakers will get impatient and start shipping these guys out and, and going for the big fish when I think they could have a really, really entertaining product and a team that winds up being pretty good in the same mold as Golden State, you know, where you, you know, homegrown, good talent. They've got, you know, Ingram even looked good in the one game he played, flashing some, some real next-level wing skills, getting to the basket, finishing through contact, things he wasn't doing last year. Uh, his ball handling looks improved, at least as far as uh, the control goes. And, you know, I, I think they've got the start of what could be, you know, in four years, a very good team, four or five years, let's say, uh, a very good team. And, and I, I was watching the game tonight and, and felt myself just getting a little bit nervous that we're going to hear, oh, you know, uh, Kuzma and, uh, and Lonzo Ball package for Russell Westbrook. I mean, right. I, I don't know. Yeah, well, we'll see. I mean, the the really crazy thing would be that the the Thunder are kind of struggling by you know, when it gets close to the um, trade deadline, and they're like seventh place or like barely hanging on to six, and they're realizing, you know what, Russ is going to be out of here. And, it, and part of me feels like they're going to try and pull up a trade for both Russ and Paul George, <laughs> and that would but that would include Ingram without question. Um, but I, I agree with you. I feel like the, the Lakers have been fun for over a year now with this little nucleus they have. And even getting rid of D'Angelo Russell, putting Lonzo Ball in that same spot is, is even more fun. So I would almost think that by Lonzo Ball's third year, so not even four or five years, maybe like in, in three, the, the third year, they would probably be a really solid and, you know, a Midwestern Conference team. Um, and it kind of feels like, to me, it almost feels like they're going to be like four games back of that A spot with like, you know, 15 games to go. Like they're going to make it somewhat interesting and maybe compete a little bit down the stretch. Well, you know, the, the KCP contract, uh, the one-year $18 million, I think that that's, um, that's something to watch. First of all, I think he's a decent player. He'll probably shoot better in L.A. just because he's going to have Lonzo getting in the ball. He's going to have other guys out there. Uh, Brooke Lopez will, will spread the floor a little bit. And <laughs> so weird you say he that. Can be traded. I know. But he can be traded December 15th. And $18 million, you know, kind of lines up with uh, Paul George. Interesting. I mean, you know, like, a yeah. So... I actually had that thought today. I was kind of just, you know, running through my head. Okay, so this is this. You know, got $22 million in Brook Lopez. I mean, it, it wouldn't take much to make, you know, to put together one of these deals with OKC. And, you know, it remains to be seen whether anything's happening in OKC. Russ has that extension sitting on the table. He's yet to sign it. And if you're Sam Presti, you know, unless, unless he knows something we don't, uh, you, you might be starting to, to worry a little bit. And I think if, you know, if that contract extension goes unsigned by Russell Westbrook into, you know, late September, we're going to start really hearing some stuff. Absolutely. We'll, keep, we'll have to keep our eye on that because uh, a lot of interesting fluid stuff. But again, like that nucleus they have is interesting to say the least and should cause problems for a lot of, a lot of teams. 
And I can imagine at home, they could also be a formidable team that players and teams are not going to want to go into stables and try and, you know, compete against these young guys. We're going to run them off the court. Uh, you know, pay, pay attention to teams that get to L.A. a day early and have a night off uh, in L.A. before they play them because those are always those, uh, those games where they come out flat. So, And one way you wouldn't come out flat is if you prepared a great-tasting home-cooked meal. And Blue Apron allows you to do just that. They deliver the highest quality ingredients you need to make great tasting meals, all measured out in the exact quantities you need. This reduces food waste and makes cleanup a lot easier as well. Their menus are easy to follow, kind of like motion offense, and you'll be impressing everyone in your family in no time with dishes like chicken ramen with greens, soft boiled egg, and miso broth. All of their meals cost less than 10 bucks per person, and it's a great bonding experience to tie on your apron with someone else, fire up some tunes in the Sonos, and make sweet music in the pan. Order now, and you'll get your first three meals free by visiting blueapron.com slash coachnick. Their meals are flexible and adjusted to your particular taste. So open up that browser, create a new tab, type in blueapron.com slash coachnick, and start enjoying Blue Apron, a better way to cook. I think we should kind of head over to the uh, trade little rumors about Mello leaving New York. It seems like uh, an appropriate time to drive into that and what how that what that means for Houston. Well, you know, it does seem that that Houston is in hot pursuit, and Mello is kind of pushing to get to Houston, and it's it's hard to kind of see through the smoke there and know if this is Mello's people and, and Mello trying to make it happen. The Knicks have reportedly kind of pulled back on, on these, you know, the trade talks a little bit. They want, they want to convince him to stay after trying to, you know, trade him for, you know, the last six months. I, I don't know. It's a mess. But uh, one trade rumor that I heard uh, here in Vegas was uh, Mello would be going to Houston. Ryan Anderson would be going to Portland. And then Mo Harkless and Myers Leonard to New York, but New York didn't want Myers Leonard. So they were trying to pull in a fourth team. And, you know, of course it gets tricky. The more people you add, the, the trickier it gets. Um, I like Ryan Anderson. I think Ryan Anderson is a good player. I, I think that contract is not, you know, ideal, but he's still a valuable player. That, to me, would be a sign that Portland's kind of going, you know, we like Nick. Uh, we think Nurk can make up for any defensive laps at the four. We get better on offense. You know, that, that offense probably becomes like a top six, yeah. top five offense. And um, it's, not, it's not bad for them. But then you told me something that I hadn't heard. I did. And you want me to tell you again? <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I was reading it somewhere today where the reason why Portland wanted to be involved was because they wanted Nello to waive his trade his no trade clause to Portland as well, as if they wanted to somehow get in the running for him. It was very, very strange, and I don't think it was a fever dream. I know I read it like somewhere reputable, um, and that's just really strange as well because I just don't think that you know uh, Mello would ever want to go to Portland to play, and um, you know it just goes back to the to the whole crux of the matter, which was that Phil Jackson doomed himself the second he offered a no trade clause contract for the, to save five million dollars to Mello. That was his death knell right there. Yeah, it was a it was a terrible idea, you know. Honestly, the the, the Knicks are not using that five million anyway. Right, no, it, <laughs> and, it wasn't, wasn't worth it. Saddled, right, you're saddled with the mellow, you know, 
deal. And it's not like Melo is a bad player. Melo's not a superstar level player anymore, whatever that means, that nebulous term. But, but he's still a good player. He still can get you 20 points a night. Um, when he's engaged, his defense is, is passable. And, you know, we've seen him. He's a good passer. He's got to get him around people that he wants to pass the ball to. And so, you know, the Knicks haven't been able to do that. I mean, look, look at how they mismanaged the relationship with Christoph Porzingis, you know, yeah. the guy who's supposed to be the future, the building block of the franchise. And, you know, he, he skipped his exit interview because he was so tired of the front office dysfunction. So, you know, the, the Knicks are nowhere close to, to being a well-run franchise. It's been that way for a long time. And, and Phil Jackson wasn't able to fix that, but he created problems of his own. You know, you and I have talked quite a bit. We, You know, the Zen mind trick where he was essentially trying to, you know, force Melo to, to ask for a trade or whatever, you know, really he just acted like a dick and ruined <laughs> right. his chances of signing any other free agents. Like, what, is LeBron going to sign in New York after Bill Jackson has, you know, spent two years treating Carmelo Anthony publicly the way that he has? No way. Free agents are not even giving New York a sniff as long as Phil Jackson was there. And now that he's gone, it's not going to be any better because now you've got a bad team. You know, the, the Frank Nilakina, who I, I like as a prospect, you, you know, Dennis Smith was on the board. Donovan Mitchell was on the board. Malik Monk was on the board. Even Bam Adebayo, who it looks like a world beater, was on the board, and you took Frank Nilakina, a guy who, you know, is probably a couple years away from being, you know, on those guys' levels right. as rookies. And I, I just think the franchise right now is probably a good three years away from being able to do anything. They've got to unload Melo. They've got to move him somewhere. I, I'm, I'm actually a little worried. I think they may need to, to move KP. I, I think they need to just think about the teardown and rebuild, which, which sucks because I think the league is better when the Knicks are good. Right. Well, and the other problem you have with Neil Kina is the notion of player development. And it's unclear to me if that happens uh, in, a, in a good way. Now, KP has certainly developed, uh, although it seems to me that he kind of had some good skill set coming in. Um, and if it's going to be uh, New York, where things are sort of always in flux and in you know a lot of turmoil, then it's certainly uh, not very conducive for probably a really nice kid from you know from Europe who hasn't played in you know th- this high over his head before. Uh, so it's a really where, where in comparison, a guy like you know Dennis Smith is a kind of a tough and hardened kid out of, you know in America who knows what to you know knows how to expect and handle that stuff. So. Um, it's an interesting thing. Now, what we should probably also talk about is, is, is if indeed Melo does go to Houston um, with CP3 and Harden, how does that work? Uh, I did have a lot, of, a nice long conversation with some of the Rockets guys, and they were describing to me a little bit about Dan Tony's offense and what they wanted uh, CP3 and, and um, Harden to do. Um, and I guess the question is, and you did, I, I do want to kind of hold your feet to the fire about calling Melo's defense passable. Um, I guess it's passable when he's completely healthy. When he's engaged. Right. And when he's engaged, when he's not guarding uh, really quick wings. You know, like, he, he, he's a four. And, and yeah. the sooner he realizes that, the better. And if he goes to Houston, that's where he's going to play. I mean, Trevor Ariza will guard wings, and, and Carmelo will guard, you know, fours, which is kind of a wing spot, but slower wings. And, and that's what Carmelo is at this point. All right. I actually think it'll work well. You know, yeah. you and I 
have kind of dug into it a little bit on how the Harden and Chris Paul stuff will work. And we both are pretty high on, on that tandem. We, we both agree that, you know, when you can get two top 10 players together, uh, two guys that are hall of fame level players, uh, that good at distributing and controlling the offense and, and stuff like that. It, it's, it's hard to make it a bad thing on the court. It's the, it's the chemistry stuff that's kind of off the court slash attitude stuff that, that you, you know, you're concerned about. You add Melo into that mix, and I think, again, it's another guy that can hit a shot. He can get you a bucket when you need it. He's a good passer when he's got good players around him. I mean, Olympic Melo is a thing because mm-hmm. when he plays with other good players, he actually moves the ball and he does these, these things. He kind of fills a role. And in Houston, he'll be the, you know, the third banana, I guess, if, if, that's, if that's even a term. I think I just made that up. So yeah. he'll be he'll be the the third wheel, so to speak. So he'll have to kind of be more of a role player. You know, he probably would drop sixteen to eighteen points a game, um, probably similar to Chris Paul in that in that yeah. respect. Um, and but I think we would watch his assists go up because he'd be moving the ball more. I think we would watch his rebounds go up. I think we would see him maybe give a little bit more effort on defense, and, and I think it would be great. It would be a lot of fun to watch. I mean. Anytime you can get these kind of skilled players together, it's hard for me to believe that you're going to have a bad product on the floor. Yeah, and it would be really nice to see Melo kind of remind us all of how good he can be. I feel like we've forgotten that over the last couple of years in the stagnancy of their offense, which, you know, while it is a triangle, it shouldn't have been as stagnant as it was. And I think part of that was him. I think they gave him... Uh, with enough free reign in that role that he had in New York, you could easily make the triangle as stagnant as you'd like. And that's what happened a lot. So I could see him coming off of dribble handoffs or initiating dribble handoffs with those guys. And the irony is, as a third best player, you could almost, I could see him like leading the team in scoring. I, I, I know it's kind of hard because of Harden, who's just such a scorer, but. I wouldn't be surprised if there were a ton of games that year where he does lead the team in scoring, where he gets hot and he ends up having, you know, 27 and Harden gets 26. You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, you know, and he's going to be more efficient because Bello is a good shooter. And yeah. He's going to have much, you know, the shots are going to be much better looks and a lot of, a lot of corner threes, which, you know, Harden and Chris Paul both generate. And he's another guy who can attack a closeout from the corner. I, I mean, to me, it's actually a really good fit. And I love Capella behind those guys and Trevor Ariza. So you've got some decent defense on the wing. I, I really think that if Houston can pull this off, Daryl Morey has completely changed that team from two years ago. Think about where it was two years ago. Mm-hmm. And then they lose Dwight. And then they're, they're, you know, they get Brian Anderson, they get Eric Gordon. And they go what looks like all offense. They, you know, they're the third seed in the playoffs. Don't do well in the playoffs. And now he goes out and he gets Chris Paul and potentially gets Carmelo Anthony and makes them, you know, probably contenders for the two seed, I would say. I think they'd be right there in San Antonio. And, I mean, Daryl Morey is a magician, basically, is what I'm saying. Yeah, no, he is, and and so uh, we'll have to see how that plays out. I'm really, I am curious. I know that part of the um, underlying fundamentals that they're hoping for is 
for Chris Paul and Harden to share the ball, they want Chris Paul to sprint to the corner, and, and he can initiate the offense out of the corner in D'Antoni's offense, and then vice versa, uh, where Harden can get there, and then they can run it through him there. And I guess the only trepidation I have about that is that I, t- I have a hard time picturing CP3 sprinting ahead to the corner. Like, I don't know why. Maybe it's just because the way they played, he's always sort of in the backcourt dribbling the ball up. But, um, you know, it's possible if he can get up there quick, they can get him off of a pin down into some pistol action. Like, that would be that would be supercharged Chris Paul. Like, Chris Paul could have an MVP here. He could. You know, actually, I've seen him. When, I think about the Utah series when they really wanted to push the pace. He, it, he wasn't really lollygagging. I think that Chris Paul is just so smart about picking his spots that sometimes we forget that, that he does sometimes just increase the pace on his own. And he does it on his own. I don't think Doc's calling this stuff. I think Chris just sees, he sees the floor and he, and he knows the game so well that he just picks his spots and he's not wasting energy, you know. Um, right. Got to save those legs. Yeah, I and mean, we do know Doc had, you know, he probably complained uh, and, and cajoled them to, or whatever to try and get them to go faster. And they just, he could never seem to get that to happen last year for a lot of reasons. So we'll find out if D'Antoni can speak a little bit louder to that because certainly um, that would make them better. I think the faster they play, the better they'll be. Um, and it is it is exciting. Like We'll have to wait and kind of keep our ears to the ground. And maybe, you know, by this week, uh, after this week is over, we'll have another podcast and, and actually talk very specifically about Melo. Maybe they'll even be a, a video about it, uh, God forbid. But we'll should see. Wow. Um, yeah. I, I think I well, – listen, I haven't done a video in a while. And like my – Teodosic, uh, if you want, if you're in Serbia, uh, our Teodosic video did very well. So thank you everyone for coming. A shout out to Serbians who probably watched it more than anybody. But uh, I, yes, I owe everybody, uh, you know, probably four breakdowns this week. Although I also have um, my shooting breakdowns coming out. If not like late tomorrow, early Tuesday morning, it'll be completely done and ready to go and ready to be, you know, to, to buy on Vimeo. Very excited about it. Uh, I don't think I've, you haven't seen any of it, have you yet? Right, Dave? I, I haven't. You sent me the, the raw cut, and I oh. have just been, you know, I've been enveloped by Vegas, and I okay. haven't, haven't seen anything. All right, well, early returns from other coaches I sent it to have been very, very, very positive. So uh, people are going to definitely want to get their hands on that, not only to improve their own shot, but it also helps as far as coaching how to teach shooting. Uh, it's, it's kind of a dual-purpose video there. And uh, another cool thing is we've been taking a list of other things we could put in there for a part two. So we've already got a part two like ready to go. That would be another 20-some minutes. So very excited about getting these things out there to the public. And, uh, you know, you have to keep your ears uh, uh, pierced or whatever that word is. I'm looking forward to be ready to, when, it, when it goes live and uh, be on YouTube and you'll see, you know, some samples and some whatever. But uh, should we fold back into uh, people at Cotteri in Summer League? Uh, absolutely. And I will start. Okay. Dennis Smith Jr. has put on a show at Summer League. This guy, you know, he's two years removed now from the ACL tear that he suffered at Adidas Nations um, two years ago. And, uh, man, he looks good. Man, he looks good. He is already elite at drawing fouls, getting the free throw line, which is a superstar skill. He is elite mm-hmm. at that. He he attacks the hoop. He you know he's got such great pace and explosiveness that he's able to to attack in ways that guys aren't used to seeing. It's very Russell Westbrook esque, and uh, I just think that this guy. Is going to be. He's, I think when it's all said and done, we're going to we're going to go back and say the man, the Mavericks got to steal at nine 
because they got the best player in the draft at the, at the ninth pick. I mean, the guy is really, really good. He's scoring at a high level. He's, he's actually, when he, you know, his defense is pretty good. He, he's doing a good job of picking his spots, you know, coming up behind picks when they're trying to flash in the post and just ripping the ball away. And, um, yeah, love him. God, yeah, the awesome. world was yeah the world was his oyster out there. I mean, I was watching from the baseline uh, for a quarter, and um, it's just like he's very poised, he's very explosive, and can do what he wants to do when he wants to do it. And the beauty of it is, is that you know that Rick Carlisle, you know he he micromanages these games, but I have a feeling that they're going to be it's going to be in the sense that um, they're going to be able to put him in certain play calls consistently that where he will be able to excel and they're going to be able to say okay we're going to get you in a pick and roll going this way at this part of this quadrant of the floor and we know that you're going to be able to just take off and go and then you're going to have these two reads it's all so they're going to be able to keep it simple for him and he's going to be able to really just shine uh, with what he does and yeah i mean he could be the best player in this draft yep absolutely anybody stand out to you yeah, well, you know, a couple guys. Uh, so De'Aaron Fox, who I was already high on, and he could be the best player in the draft. You know, I, I couldn't get over how long he is. And almost to the point where I kind of feel like he might still be growing a little bit, right? I mean, he's I don't think he's 20 yet, is he? I, gotta, I should check that before I say but um, uh, We're bad with ages on this show. Yeah, I know. well, so, speak for yourself. But uh, before I get there, uh, <laughs> let me see if I have it on here. Up, oh, He's already rated here. He is 19. He's not even 20 yet. So he is so long. Uh, it's just like in a way that he kind of looks like he, he's still growing. So he could conceivably get to like 6'5", in my mind. But either way, he was denying passes and really acted defensively. And him and Buddy were like hooking up for some fun stuff. So you got to watch out for those Kings, man. There's, there's something going on over there that's good. and It hasn't been good for a long time. And then, uh, so De'Aaron Fox is one. And I just want to throw out one more guy, Josh Jackson, quickly. And what really just caught my eye about him, uh, aside from anything else, was just his handle. Like, he was bringing the ball up like a point guard. And he was crossing guys and, like, just really, like, had a really complex set of moves with the the dribble. I was really surprised by that. I guess I kind of, I missed that when I was going through all his footage from college. And uh, so those two guys really caught my eye. Yeah, um, another few, like, honorable mentions. Uh, Dylan Ennis. Uh, who's with the Warriors. God, he looks good. Jordan Bell looks really good. Uh, Wayne Selton looks like a guy that shouldn't be at Summer League. I mean, he has yeah. just dominated the whole the whole week. Um, just, you know, just so well built. Um, and and really knows what he's doing on the basketball court. Uh, is he stout? Uh, Dylan Brooks just looks pretty good, too. Sorry, what was that? Was he stout? You said he was well built. He Yes, he was stout. Okay, well, you know, but shame on you for talking about the Warriors and listing those players and not mentioning Patrick McCaw because he... Oh, yeah, well, come on. He's, he's got he's the glow, the man. champion. I know, yeah. so, right. He, 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 that second-year guy who played finals minutes and then was playing summer league and hitting game winners. I mean, yeah, he's pretty good. Actually, another guy for the Warriors is Damian Jones looked really good. Yeah. Uh, he was very spry. Yeah, he was active. Again, the, you know, the Warriors are kind of, I mean, the, I hate to bring up the light years thing, but, um, <laughs> yeah, they had four really good players on their summer league team. I don't, I don't think all of those guys are going to be, you know, on the 15-man roster, but, uh, yeah, they looked pretty good out there. Yeah, I, pull, I, I practically tackled Patrick McCall in the concourse when I saw him walking by just to kind of, like, you know, ask him if he felt it because – 
He's a different player than he even was in the finals. And you can see it now. He was running the offense. He was literally doing his Steph impersonation. Then he was doing his Clay impersonation, sprinting the wing on fast breaks and nailing threes. He's playing good defense. Um, he's the guy, I mean, literally, they're going to be able to, to sit Iguodala on the second of back to backs and give him 28 minutes a game uh, and not miss a beat. I mean, I'm telling you, the kid has just developed. And it's as a result, it's like there's a couple teams that have done well. And if, the, and if the Rockets get mellow, then you probably give them the, the nod for best moves. But other than that, you got the Warriors, what they did in this offseason is as good as anybody else. And it's not fair because they're already, the, one of, I think, the all time greatest team we've seen, and they've now improved. Well, and the moves that they made were sustainability moves. They weren't like splashy moves. You know, they, they didn't trade for Chris Paul. They didn't trade for Carmelo. You know, they signed KD last year. They re-signed him this year. They re-signed all their other guys. But the biggest moves they made this summer were, you know, uh, the Jordan Bell move, the, the Chris Boucher move, um, you know, and, and then continuing to develop these other guys. And I, I think that this is, you know, the mark of a, of a good franchise. The Spurs have been doing this for years. Um, there's really, I mean, Boston's been doing it for a few years. It's, uh, I don't know. I I really like what their front office is focused on. I I think that it's super important. And yes, all of that is easier when you can sign KD, you know, to a $25 million contract instead of his full max. I understand. But at the same time, you know, I got to give them credit for finding talent at maximum value for where they could find it. I, I think they did a great job. Absolutely. And well, that's our Warriors, because we have to mention the Warriors on every podcast. That's uh, our Warriors plug for the week. Right. Well, I, I also found it startling that like the culture is so permeated across the entire organization that even their summer league team, they're passing the ball and they're cutting and they're moving. And uh, But I, I also want to point out the Lakers and the Kings, when I watched them play, both those teams were running really great offense. And then you look at some of the other teams that were running really bad offense, and they would probably shrug and say, well, we don't have a lot of time. We're just throwing these teams together. And I don't know. The Kings didn't, have that, didn't need that excuse. The, La- the Lakers didn't need that excuse. The Warriors didn't need that excuse. And so it's like there are ways to teach these things in short amount of time with the practice to, uh, to get these guys to play that way. And, um, and those guys are doing it. And so that's why it's exciting. I think we're in this new era now, and a couple more teams are popping up there that are playing – this sort of pace and space, moving the ball, uh, sort of the beautiful game that the, that the Spurs you know, ran in 2014. They kind of don't even run it anymore. But I think we're finally getting that moment here where uh, going forward we're going to have more and more of these teams playing that way. Yeah, I agree. I mean, with, with the way the rules are set up, uh, I mean, that was what they were encouraging with these rule changes. And I think we're finally getting to the point where it's caught on with just about everyone. Now, the Spurs, what they've done is they look for the market inefficiencies, right? So mm-hmm. NBA defenses are now set up to, to guard the three-point line and guard the basket. So now they're starting to exploit the mid-range. And, and you're going to see that shift happen again. Teams are going to – I mean, Houston will exploit the mid-range this year. Trust me. Um, they're going to start exploiting the mid-range. So the defense now has to play the mid-range. The three-pointer opens up. Basically, it's dance. We're going to go back and forth, and I like that stuff. I think, to me, basketball is a thinking man's game. It is not just, of course, you have to have, you know, like 10 tools physically, but it's also a thinking man's sport. And I think, you know, for coaches, you know, we've got a game plan. Uh, then the opposing coach has a counter. And now we've got to come up with a game plan to, to 
take advantage of that counter. And then the players have to execute all this stuff on the fly. And, and I just think that the, with the way the game is right now, this is the best it's ever been. And, uh, yeah, this is a great week to watch these young guys kind of play the way that you and I want teams to play and, and the way that we coach, you know, sharing the ball, shooting open shots, getting to the basket, uh, at least trying hard on defense, if not playing hard defense. Um, yeah, it was a good week for that. Yeah, and as we are moving into this sort of greatest era of the NBA, like as you, as you described, we are we're also moving into the greatest era of our podcast uh, as we continue to uh, destroy it out here with everybody. So uh, you know, this has been another another great edition of our another great episode of our podcast. And again, uh, frightening how smooth we can go from one uh, subject to the other and right back again. It's it's uh, it was very good, great stuff. Yeah, we're like Lonzo Ball and Kyle Kuzma out here. Yeah, right. Well, I want to be Darren Fox. You can, you can be Buddy. I'll be Darren Fox. There you go. Well, I call everybody <laughs> Buddy anyway, so there you go. All right. So, well, uh, awesome stuff. We'll have to catch up again. We'll do a, another one maybe in the middle of the week when you get back, uh, when they when, when you escape yeah. from Vegas. Uh, and we'll When I get my voice back. Yeah, me, well, hey, I'm still struggling, so we'll have to see how that works. But uh, anyway, thanks, Dave, for joining me on the road uh, today, and uh, we'll check in with you really soon. And don't forget, sports fans, at B-Ball Breakdown, we're not a channel, we're a conversation. You in? Are you in, Dave? Yes, I am. In Vegas.